Welcome into another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast, remote edition. I'm Bob Flounders talking, joined by Greg Pickle. We're going to talk about some Penn State assistant coaches this time and their thoughts uh, during this stoppage due to the coronavirus. We're going to start with defensive coordinator Brent Pry and get his thoughts on the defense. Then we're going to move to tight ends coach Tyler Bowen. He's going to talk a little bit about Tyler Bowen. Uh, we're going to get a recruiting update from Greg Pickle, obviously, and then we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. Okay, Greg Pickle, uh, had a chance to talk to James Frank a week ago, and now we're going to talk about Brent Pry and his teleconference uh, a couple days ago. Brent was kind enough to give us about 30 minutes. Uh, let's let's start with some of your takeaways. Yeah, Bob, it was really good to hear from Brent. It's good to hear you as well, and thanks to Martin and Mark and Salim and the guys right. for helping us put this week's edition of The Blitz together. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting from listening to Brent Pry talk, Bob, was the fact that he thinks Micah Parsons is not even reached the potential that he can get to yet. And I think we knew that he's a guy that, of course, played defensive end in high school and moved to linebacker when he got to college. It only took him two years to become an All-American. But now that he is, what's the next step? And I know there's been a lot of talk about Heisman trophies and this award, that award, the other award. And I think that that's obviously very interesting. But at the same time, I wonder what they can do with him as a, maybe a kick returner or perhaps as a uh, perhaps as a running back. What role can they get him in? Bob, we know that he really likes to bend James Franklin's ear and now Kirk Shiraka's ear about different ways to get him involved. And it's almost like Saquon Barkley in a way. I mean, they found a way to use him in the pass game, the run game as a return man. And I think that was obviously a big deal to get that kind of rare talent on the field. Now they have to figure out how to do it with Mike on defense. Yeah, so I would be really surprised if you saw him play another position. Um, I'll differ with you there, but it's we've talked about it early, and, and Brent talked about it. There, the, the next step for Micah to take is to become more devastating um, on the blitz and as a pass rusher, as a stand-up pass rusher, kind of off the edge. You saw him start to get better at that during the second half of the 2019 season, and he made some plays via the blitz in the in the Cotton Bowl win over Memphis that really caused problems for the Tigers' offense and changed the game. I think Brent and James are now comfortable with Micah knowing most of the linebacker uh, position now. He's playing fast, and I think they want him to be more of an all-around force in the game. He can do that with his speed and his size. He can basically play all three linebacker positions. He can play either end spot. You know, He's a guy that doesn't have to come off the field in case he's tired. He seems to be um, indestructible physically. I don't. I've never even seen him get shaken up, Greg, in two years. Knock on wood. I do think that Micah is does have room to grow. I don't know if you notice he maintained his weight coming out of the spring. He's right around 245 pounds. I think that's pretty ideal for him. You don't want him to get too much bigger. Uh, the fact that he can run 4-4 uh, at that size is just uh, downright scary. Greg, one of the things I also wanted to ask you about is, you know, we've talked about who's how how is the linebacker group going to look with Cam Brown and Jan Johnson missing? And Brent Pry kind of broke down the competition for the other two spots. It, it seems to me, Greg, it's two veterans are going to compete in the middle, and there are three younger players, two of them extremely talented, that are going to vie for the spot uh, that Cam Brown held down uh, so well for the last two years. Yeah, that was really interesting to hear Brent Pry break that down, Bob, and talk about the fact that inside, you know, I was a little bit curious at one point whether or not they could consider moving Micah into the middle. Obviously, he's such a unique talent that you can use him just about anywhere on the field that you want. 
And if you moved him into the middle, that would give you the chance to get Brandon Smith and Leanne Stixon on the field together at the same time. I don't think that's out of the question at this point, but right now it's going to be Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucetta who fight for the right to replace Jan Johnson. Obviously, you know, when you look at what those guys have done so far in their Penn State career, they've been very good, but they haven't really received a lot of opportunity to get on the field. Now they're going to have as much opportunity as they want. And those two guys are pretty much stride for stride, as far as I'm concerned, for that job in the middle. And then when you move to the outside, Bob, I think the question becomes, and we wrote about it the other day, where is Brandon Smith compared to Lance Dixon? And where is Lance Dixon compared to Brandon Smith? And those two guys are going to be fighting for that role that Cam Brown had. I think you have to give the initial nod to Brandon Smith because he did play more last year. He did burn his red shirt. They saved a year of eligibility for Lance Dixon. I know you thought from the start that that was mostly because of the fact that Jordan Stout was such a good kickoff guy that they were basically just having Lance Dixon run down the field to touch the other goal line. And that really wasn't worth the uh, worth the time. So, it, you know, I, I think it, the idea here is that, um, you know, Penn State wants to get both of those guys involved. We could see a situation like they had on the offensive line last year where maybe they play four or five linebackers in a game instead of just yeah. three. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. But how those reps uh, end up being shared, I think, is the question that everyone's going to wonder how they'll answer. Yeah, and I do think there's a world where you can see both Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon on the field at the same time in 2020, hopefully 2020, because we really haven't talked about, we talked about Micah never coming off the field. But at some point during the course of a game, he's going to have to come out for a couple of series. And I, I wonder who will be the linebacker that kind of subs in for him for maybe a series or two as they try to spot him. But looking at it right now and hearing Brent Pry talk, it sure, it sure feels to me like you could see a starting three of Micah and Brandon Smith outside. I think it'll be Ellis Brooks in the middle. Uh, Micah and Brandon Smith outside. And I think that Brent Pry wouldn't hesitate um, to use um, Dixon in, in place of Brandon Smith. And I think if Micah needs a blow, I think one of those two guys can bounce over to the other side. I wasn't encouraged by the fact that he said that Charlie Catcher might be closer to carving out a role. I'm not sure what that is, but I think Penn State feels pretty good about their top six. I'm just not sure. Um, and we have to remember that they're going to play a lot of two linebacker sets as well. But this looks to be uh, one of the top three strengths of the team. Would you agree? Yeah, there's simply no question about it, Bob. It should be maybe the strength outside of perhaps running back. I mean, you look at what this group is capable of, and they've recruited it so well. They've recruited running back and linebacker extremely well. And that's not to say they haven't recruited some other positions to uh, improve, too. But there's no doubt that, I mean, you look at the five-star talent they have at running back, that they have at linebacker. I mean, this is... Um, this is a very good group of players that are going to really be competing for chances to get on the field because there's not enough snaps to go around, you know. And I don't want to compare it specifically to the running back rotation and Ricky Slade transferring because there was obviously not as much opportunity as he would have liked, but that kind of is maybe where this linebacker room could go one day simply because of how talented it is. I thought it was encouraging that he mentioned catcher too. He's going to be a special teams guy at worst this year, and I could really see him getting some additional reps with the defense that maybe you would expect it um you know going uh, coming out of the 2019 season he looks like a different guy out there at times bob and that's a really good sign i feel good about the linebacker group i think brent pry feels really i think it's just going to be his best linebacker group and let's hope these guys can get uh back onto the practice field in the next couple of months. It seems far off, but I know the Penn State fan base is excited. They're also probably a little bit excited about the tight end room, only because Pat Fryermuth is back. Uh, behind him, Greg Pickle, 
uh, Tyler Bowen, who, uh, who's been with Penn State the last couple of years, also was the interim OC in the bowl game, has uh, an interesting January enrollee prospect in Theo Johnson, but also two uh, young tight ends that haven't uh, been able to do much yet at Penn State in, uh, in Zach Kuntz uh, and Brenton Strange. And both of them, Greg, look like they've added some pretty significant size during winter conditioning. Zach Kuntz is a guy who, Bob, when we last saw him, if you look at some of Joe Hermit's photos from uh, from the Thon Explorers event and from some of the other stuff up on campus between the end of the Cotton Bowl and now, I mean, he, can, he continues to look like he's added the right kind of weight. He still looks a little bit skinny. I think he's always going to when you're six yeah. six or six seven, whatever he is. But he definitely looks like he's put some weight on. I don't think there's any question about that. And then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is when you look at um, Brenton Strange, he played a little bit last year, and he looked like a guy who maybe wasn't too far off from a physical standpoint to really contribute. Someone's going to have to step into that role that Nick Bowers left, that second tight end, who maybe only gets you know 10 to 15 catches for the entire season, but is a really good blocker, a really reliable player when he's in the game. I don't know if it's Strange. I don't know if it's Kuntz. I don't know if it's Theo Johnson. You know, The one thing Theo yeah. talked about, and I believe this is something you'll be writing about before long, is that he is now in position to not be as limited by the injury that cost him uh, or was going to cost him spring practice, that he uh, suffered a shoulder issue that he suffered down at the Under Armour game. So He's now going to catch up with those guys, Bob. It's another fascinating position battle in a spring, summer, whatever, fall um, that will feature many of them once these guys get back on the field. Yeah, and I just want to add that it's one thing to add size and to look good you know, in the weight room, but at some point, the second tight end is going to have to want to be a willing blocker. I hope those guys are at that point now, and to be fair to them, I don't think they were asked to block a lot in high school, so it's it's an adjustment. I remember... You know, talking to Adam Bredeman, who was at Penn State and later at UMass, it was definitely an adjustment for him. He was a big wideout. The same goes for Mike Gesicki, who's now with Miami. I think Mike, if he was being honest, would probably say that he really, his heart really wasn't in probably being, you know, a blocker in the running game. But I think that ultimately, and for this offense to succeed in a two tight end set, the second tight end has to be able to be account, be able to be trusted to be able to make a springing springing block, excuse me, if they call a run instead of a pass. And we'll see. They look good. They look, they look like they're more physically ready to do that. But um, the proof will be hopefully in the fall when they're on the field and it's a running play. Can they get the job done? Something to keep an eye on. I'm curious about Theo Johnson as well, how, how much he can help and how hurt he really was. But Greg, let's talk about something that's happened recently. A couple of, uh, just a couple of things. I don't want to go off script here, but Penn State's you have a recruiting update for us, but also just, I know it's not about Penn State, but just share your thoughts on kind of what Ohio State's been able to do in their running back room via either the transfer portal or uh, securing the services of a five-star running back that Penn State was also interested in. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think we can save the Penn State portion of that update for the second half of the Blitz, but real quick on what uh, the rest of the Big Ten is done. I mean, the, uh, Ohio State now with Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor has four, uh, two, a four-star running back and a five-star running back, two really good players that um, will make that running back room continue to be better and look almost like um, the one Penn State has. Yeah. You know, I know there's a lot of people kind of chomping their, their fingernails a little bit worried about the fact that, that Penn, you know, Ohio State's out recruiting Penn State right now, and they are. There's no doubt about that. But look, that's what happens when 
you're able to compete for a college football playoff. You're able to show what you're able, uh, you know, what you've accomplished in the past. Penn State obviously has more to show now than it has before, but it doesn't have everything that a lot of the top yeah. recruits want. I think you just got to kind of take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit and realize it's Ohio State, Clemson. Um, they were leading for some of these kids anyway, and they were going to grab uh, some of these commitments no matter if there was a pandemic that shut down all the sports world or not. So I don't yeah. think it's anything to be too concerned about, Bob. I think that, uh, you know, I think that Penn State will get its share. We'll talk about that in a little bit. One thing before we take the break, Bob, I want to go back to Tyler Bowen for a second. You were really struck by a comment he made about Kirk Sharaka and the way he's able yeah. to conceptualize and understand the offense. Yeah. Um, and uh, not, it's not, it's not, I don't think Tyler was, it wasn't an indirect shot at uh, Ricky Ryan or anything like that, but you know, Kirk Sharaka has been successful at a, you know, at a lot of different places before he got to Penn State. It wasn't just Minnesota. He coached, you know, at different levels uh, of the game and coached very well. He coached at Delaware. He's done a lot. He's actually, you know, he's been around the game a long time. And one of the, one of the advantages of having that kind of experience is over time, he's not only kind of come close to mastering, you know, the play calling aspect of being the offensive coordinator. But he's been around the game enough, Greg, that he he knows where every what what every player on the offense is supposed to be doing. He knows what the offensive linemen, the guards, and the tackles and the centers are supposed to be doing on a given play. He knows the running backs. He obviously knows the quarterbacks and the wideouts. But I think he's a really good sounding board for the rest of the assistant coaches on the offensive side. And I think, you know, to be fair, Ricky Ronnie, you know, his first OC job of note was really succeeding Joe Moorhead. I don't think he had the benefit of that experience. And I think that, I think it's safe to say, Greg, that even though we haven't seen Kirk yet, we saw him at Minnesota do, do more with less, if you will, talent wise. And he, you know, he's kind of, he, he's just a little bit more advanced as an OC. And I think that's really going to help Penn State's offense because of the fact he knows what all the people are supposed to be doing to make the play successful. And I think it'll really show up, Greg, on a game day and when it comes time to make some in-game adjustments, which I think is something that Penn State struggled at times to do last year. Yeah, there's no question about that. I think with Sharaka, you get a guy who has a system, knows the system, and will rely on his system to get through the good times and the bad times. And again, not that Ricky Ronnie couldn't do that or did not do that, but I think that Kirk has a better plan to adjust, uh, maybe compared to what Ricky had. All right, it's a good time for a break on the Penn State Blitz podcast. You can find it every week on Penn Live, even while we work remotely. Um, we're expecting to mostly have these episodes out Thursday morning, per the usual. Sometimes Penn State will have availabilities that'll cause us to wait a day, but you can find the audio wherever you uh, find your podcast: Apple, Spotify. Google, so on and so forth. Also, penlive.com. We post those every Thursday. The videos are at youtube.com slash allpennstate. And Bob, when we come back, we got a recruiting update, Penn State specific, and also the mailbag. Okay, so welcome back to the Penn State Blitz. Uh, time to talk a little recruiting. I'm Bob Flounders, joined remotely somewhere in Pennsylvania by Greg Pickle. Uh, we teased a little recruiting, but it was Ohio State recruiting, Greg. What about what about Penn State recruiting? Is there a Michigan four-star safety 
that might be in Penn State's future. How how likely is that? And will Penn State be adding to its 2021 class? Yeah, I really like Jalen Reed, Bob. He's a four-star out of Michigan. You know, Penn State has been recruiting Michigan very, very well for a while. Tim Banks has been just fantastic when it comes to uh, to getting in there and really making a play for a lot of these kids in the Detroit area, but also other parts of Michigan as well. So he's going to decide May 10th, Michigan State's in the running there, Oregon is in the running there. And I think that ultimately it's probably Penn State's one to lose. This is a kid who's seen campus, knows what Penn State has to offer. And for the folks out there who um, maybe don't don't care for Tim Banks' style of coaching or think that he's the main reason the secondary and the pass defense struggled. I just have to say two things. One being, I don't know how much, I think he probably gets more blame than he deserves. But number two, Bob, he is a very good recruiter that probably doesn't get enough credit because he's overshadowed by Jaywan Sider. I think Sean Spencer overshadowed him when he was here. But Tim Banks is really good at what he does. He has Penn State in play for this kid, a very talented safety that is a kind of impact player on defense the Lions need. You know, one thing we didn't talk about, but Brent Price said that they spent a ton of time really diving into what went wrong with their past defense. And, yeah. you know, he didn't give us the answer, Woody, because he doesn't want other teams to know it. But, um, you know, as time goes on, I think they started to realize some things that uh, went wrong and some things that opposing offenses took advantage of. Kirk Scirocco is probably a great voice in helping them figure that stuff out. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to it, too, at times that, you know, the more playmakers you have back there, the better Penn State has some, but maybe not enough at this point in time, especially at safety. So time will tell on that. I guess the last recruiting thing I'll hit on, unless you have anything else to kick around on that topic is, you know, there's a lot of folks out there. We talked about this some last week, too, wondering why Penn State doesn't have as many commits as some of these other schools. I, I think that, again, the target board's very full. There's some guys that are going to have to, you know push back their decision until they can go see campuses. And so, you know, they may have been getting commitments left and right in April and May as kids came to campus. Now that might be pushed back and it's going to be a catch up game. But, you know, the old saying that when dominoes fall at other places, they can land right in your uh, your box, so to speak. And if some other top targets commit to, Penn, or commit to schools besides Penn State, it could leave them in an even better position to land some of the top guys on their board. I think of a guy like Caleb Williams, a uh, five-star recruit out of Washington, D.C. And you know, Bob, if other other kids start committing to other schools that he's interested in, that's really going to give Penn State an opportunity to sneak back toward the top of his list. Yeah, and just a final word on the safeties. You know, Enzo Jennings is a safety that Penn State, I think, really likes. in the in, And he's already a Penn State Nittany Lion, a freshman. And hopefully if they would get Reed, that would be good news. Four stars are always good, but they, they need to hit on some of these. They have not been good at hitting on safety recruits in the past, and they've, they've, they're converting too many other players from other positions. They've done it three or four times. They just did it again with Trent Gordon. Uh, maybe that's with an eye towards shoring up the pass defense from the safety spot. Juan Brisker and Lamont Wade are two physical safeties, but they need some depth there. And they need to start hitting on some of these uh, four-star safety prospects. It's, I think of all the things that maybe there's one thing maybe from the recruiting side that James and his staff just have been for whatever reason. You don't know why, but safety is just either they're hard to develop or they're hard to identify. But there's been a, there's been a couple safety prospects that just haven't panned out at Penn State. Hopefully they can turn the corner. I know we're going to turn the corner right now to the Penn State mailbag, Greg. You know, the question I have for you, Bob, for the mailbag is this. You know, when you listen to Brent Pride talk, and I hit on it a little bit a few minutes ago, what was your main takeaway from what he said about the pass defense? You know, was it 
a lack of a good pass rush? Was it a poor coverage stuff or was it something else that made that area uh, of the defense a problem? And as he said, the big problem was giving up major explosive plays in the pass game. Yeah, I mean, it was two things for me, and I think he knows it. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Trent Gordon move to safety. I just think that it feels to me like maybe safety more than corner might have been a little bit of the problem. Not that the safeties weren't very good in some games, especially against the run, but to me it was it was it was coverage mistakes and it was also tackling. I thought those were Penn State's two biggest problems when it came to pass defense. It's real hard to get a consistent pass rush depending on what the offense is that you're seeing. If you're going to run an RPO and a lot of teams that big ten that, that Penn State faces do, it's real hard to tee off on the pass if you're still got to honor the run. And, you know, the fact that the, uh, an offense can run two plays, depending on how you line up. I don't know that pass, I don't think pass rush is the issue at Penn State. Maybe a little bit inside, but they've got a good end group. I think P.J. Mustafer is going to take a step forward at the tackle spots. I think Micah as a blitzer is going to be a force. I, I think the safety group, maybe even more than the corner group, <clears throat> if they can improve in coverage and the, and the mental mistakes whether it's them working in, in kind of union with the corners, if they can clean those up, they're going to they're gonna start to limit um, big plays. They have the speed to run down a lot of the plays, but I just thought that tackling, <clears throat> and when you see receivers break wide open, you know, that you know that I think it's more mental than physical. All right, Bob, next question. And I thought it was interesting to hear, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there from everyone from Kirk Herbstreit to some other prominent voices yeah. who think that, uh, possibility of no 2020 college football season is a real possibility. Tyler Bowen told us earlier this week that, you know, they're kind of preparing that there will be a time that they get back together and they're trying to maximize each and every day until that time comes. I want to note that we're recording this before Penn State Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics, Sandy Barber, speaks to the media uh, Thursday afternoon. So some of what we talk about in this next part may be addressed by her. There could be some more clarity. But where are you at on at this point, Bob? Do you think it's a fair discussion to have right now, the uh, potential either alterations to or lack of a 2020 college football season? Uh, I, I think I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. I think I, I do think there'll be a season, but I think it's going to get I, I just think the way that the health expert, experts are talking, I think you're going to know a lot more by the end of April. But right now, as we talk about it, I would just be prepared, I think, for at the very least, the season to probably be pushed back, either that or maybe not as many games. I, I don't know. It, it's just the, the way things are, are playing out. I just and you, and you look at some of the big cities, it's really hard to see normalcy in the next, you know, six to eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. And I, you just can't afford to you just can't afford to jeopardize the health of uh, the athletes and the coaches, <laughs> uh, not to mention the question of allowing a lot of fans to gather for games. I I'm somewhere in the middle, Greg. I, th I think that, that uh, football in 2020 is, is a possibility. I just don't know that September 5th uh, may be a possibility and some, unless some things you know, change pretty quickly. And we just don't know enough about kind of what's going on. But I, I, think that, I think it's possible. I just think that September 5th is probably, I don't know how realistic that is anymore. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. All right, Bob, I think that will do it for the Penn State Blitz, unless you have any final mailbag things to throw out there. I'm good. I just hope you, Lola, and the rest are staying safe. And uh, we will talk again next week. Hopefully we'll get Kirk Shiraka in the next week or so, and we can get some insights into his thoughts about no installation and kind of what he wants to do for the Penn State offense. 